Hello, friends. Welcome to Feed Learning People. Fuck. Three, two. So unprofessional. One, take like five. Hello, friends. Welcome to Feed Learning People podcast, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there. So let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and today I'm here with. Me. Oh, Kevin. Sorry. I thought it was just us. Kevin O'Connor. Hi, everyone. So in this last episode of the season, I'm here with my husband, Kevin O'Connor, who has recently left his job at Reddit to now work for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City as a director of engineering. In this episode, he'll walk you through his career journey in the tech industry, and you can learn about his take on managing former peers, managing up to his leaders, and how he's used his privileges to help those around him. Also, just note that if he sounds like he knows what he's talking about, it was because I coached him throughout his career. But if you don't agree with what he says, then that's on him. Hope you enjoy this episode and check out feedlearning.com slash podcast for the show notes. All right, Kevin O'Connor, thanks for joining. Hey, anytime. I don't think I had much of a choice, but. <laughs> How do we know each other? Uh, I think we met once or twice, like seven years ago or so. Okay. And then, uh, I don't know, I think uh, maybe we got married, moved across the country together twice, and now have a daughter, if I'm remembering right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Where are we right now? We are at my mom's apartment in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Is that where we're living? That's where we're living in a very, uh, it's a small place for a nine-month-old and three adults, but we're making it work. And uh, how does it feel like to move back in with your mom? Uh, <laughs> I didn't have this on my life goals checklist, move back in with your mom uh, on your 35th birthday, but she's very nice to have us. She is a, a wonderful host, and uh, we we're about to sign a lease on a new apartment, so hopefully it won't be here too much longer. But okay. uh, mom, if you're listening, thanks very much for having us. So let's go ahead and get straight to it. Kevin. Yeah. My husband. Mm-hmm. Can you scan your resume starting from when you graduated college to where you are today? Sure. Well, as you should know, uh, I didn't graduate college. I dropped out after a year. But around that time, I worked a bunch of retail jobs, Best Buy, Circuit City, a few other places. Uh, the first real kind of job I got was this company called Easy CGI, where I was an overnight support technician. So people would call in with problems with their website. I would help them try and fix it. I did that for two or three years. And at least a year and a half of that, I was commuting three hours each way to get to the job and work overnight from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. So that was a pretty ridiculous position. Then I worked at a company called Datagram. They ran data centers, which is where all the servers are hosted for all the websites that you visit. Um, I was a system administrator there, so fixing mm -hmm. servers and configuring them and that sort of thing. Then I went on to a company called Arc90, where I was a system administrator again, fixing the various websites we had, helping them deploy new things and all sorts of stuff like that. Then I went to work at a company called Dig, um, D-I-G-G, which some people may be familiar with, but this was after the initial version of DIG, which was a big deal. It kind of petered out, um, and then the assets got sold off to a new company in New York. I went to go work there on some new technology they were working on as a system administrator, so fixing up the servers again, helping them to launch things. So when we would launch a new product, do we have enough servers to take care of everybody? Are we running cost-effectively? What happens when some of them fail? Uh, so I was doing all that. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, I went to go work at Reddit, um, which is a website for communities. Um, and uh, that's when we moved out to San Francisco five and a half years ago. And I started there as an engineer, again, like kind of a system administrator sort of thing. I think there's some slightly different titles, but doing similar work. Uh, and over the course of five and a half years, I left Reddit as a director of engineering, which is um, a management role. So uh, managing a, a team of about 50 people or so. And so Tuesday, the day before this goes up, I'm going to start at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center here in New York as a uh, director of data engineering. 
So helping them modernize some of their infrastructure and house all the records in one place, further their research and that sort of thing. So So you go into MSK, Memorial yeah. Sloan Kettering. That's a cancer research hospital? That's right. So you were in tech your whole life, it seems like. Pretty much. And now you go into healthcare. Total different jump. Mm-hmm. Um, why the change? I think I was very interested in medicine and genetics and all that sort of stuff from a young age, but I didn't have the grades or uh, studying habits to really uh-huh. follow it. So I was always very interested in that. And uh, there's something very appealing now about using some of the, these tech skills that I've built up for some real world, like directly good. So knowing what I know about cloud computing and databases and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, having an opportunity to apply that to the real world and help people fight cancer and that sort of thing, that's pretty appealing. Uh, mm. It's definitely a left turn, though. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, feel good about yourself going home well, so. yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah. And I remember reading one of your um, reports that you wrote from, like, eighth grade or something. You wanted to be a biomedical engineer. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is close to it. Yeah, it's probably as close as I will get without going back and doing 10 years of school. So I'll take it. Okay. Would you ever go back to college? I don't think so. Why not? I'm not very studious. I don't like to sit down and study and that sort of thing. You like to stay up all night reading random shit on the internet. (laughs) That's different. That's important. Okay. (laughs) How is, is, uh, what's some random shit you know? I've, I, lately, I was reading about wind generators. Oh, see? <laughs> you never know when that might come in handy. When would... Oh, okay. Never mind. What? Okay. Okay, no, no, no. Wait and see. This, We're going to we... be stuck on an island. I'm going to build us a wind generator, and then you're going to say, you'll eat your words. You're watching too much alone of that show. That's a good show. Alone. Good show. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about the tech industry, because... Mm-hmm. I was in retail post-college, and I did like retail management for most of my career. And it wasn't until we moved to San Francisco that I worked for a tech company and started receiving tech clients. And I realized that tech is totally different from other industries that I worked in. Um, so how would you describe the tech industry compared to other industries? And I don't know if this is hard for you to answer because you haven't really worked yeah. in any other industries. Well, the tech industry definitely is a bit more relaxed, especially around things like credentials. You know, you don't need Mm -hmm. a degree to work in the tech field. For me, I'm mostly self-taught. I don't have a degree in any of this. I've worked with a ton of people in tech who have degrees in chemical engineering, philosophy, English, who convert into working in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. So that's really nice that there's not this big barrier you have to clear. If you're good at the job, you're good at the job, uh, Mm. which is nice. And so it leads to a lot of more scrappy work and relaxed work environments and that sort of thing, which can be good. So I like that about it. And then my new job is going to be much different. I know it's going to be a lot more regimented. I think I have to wear pants and not T-shirts <laughs> at this new job. So that'll you be a big change. Po- you probably have to wear a collar shirts and polos. Oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> okay, so, so going to this new industry in healthcare, what do you think will be some obstacles you'll encounter? Well, there's a lot of new terminology and technology I'm not familiar with. There's HIPAA, which for anybody unfamiliar are the rules and regulations that tell you what you can do with healthcare data and your privacy and that sort of stuff. It's Mm -hmm. an important thing that prevents your health records from, you know, being released or shared without your consent and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously much more complex working at a healthcare provider. So there's a lot to learn there. And Somewhere like MSK, they've been around for a very long time. Most companies I worked at have been around for five years, 10 years, 15 mm-hmm. years. So it's all a startup environment that you Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Sloan has been around for, I think, well over a century at this point. So there's a lot of uh, a storied past there that I will have to familiarize myself with. Mm-hmm. And also, the work is much more important than it was in the past. Uh, you know, if I had done a really terrible job at some of my last jobs, we would lose some user data so you know you wouldn't see your upvotes on Reddit or miss some some articles or something like that, some small thing. At MSK, if you do your job wrong, your people will be missing health records or they'll Oof. be given the wrong treatment or something like that. You know, So the stakes are much, much higher. Mm. So I would expect with that there'll be a lot more process and, and that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. uh, will be interesting to, to see. Do you think this would be more stressful because the stakes are so much higher? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know yet. I think it might be, it might still be stressful, but I think the output of my work will be so much more interesting and good that I will deal with it. I, I don't know yet. I'm uh, not sure. I guess I'll find out each night you come <laughs> home. <laughs> no, what? I never do that. I'll, I'll hear it from you. <laughs> no. Ah, mm-hmm. All right. You talked about Reddit earlier where you, you started out as an engineer and you left as a director of engineering within a span mm-hmm. of like five years or so, right? Mm-hmm. That's a freaking fast timeline to go from an individual contributor to a director. And you didn't even have like management experience really before that, huh? Not really, no. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that was by luck that you got to where you are today? Or was it by hard work? Did you know what you were doing? It's definitely a bit of both. I think for a lot of people, advancing your career is you have to have skill for sure. You Mm -hmm. have to want to improve, you know. Uh, you can't go from having no management experience to managing mm-hmm. and not put in any work and not like have a drive to do better and expect to be good. So I was definitely interested in doing well. I'm lucky to be married to somebody who helped me a great deal with that. Ooh, wow. Yeah, it's you. I mean, yeah. Um, and I had uh, some great bosses when getting started as well. So, uh, but I was very interested in improving. So I would read a ton of mm-hmm. books. I would like reach out to other managers at other companies and try and learn from them and that sort of thing. So I, mm-hmm. I really cared a lot about it. But there's no doubt that I was in the right place at the right time yeah. to have that opportunity. Is that how you learn? Is just by reading books, asking people? Since you say you're not studious. Calling myself not studious is strange because I do read a lot. Um, <laughs> but I think what I mean is if it's something that I'm forced to sit down and read and study, I'm not interested at all. But if it's something that I really want to learn about, like mm-hmm. wind generators oh or <laughs> or engineering leadership, I'll read uh-huh. a lot. Um, okay. And I really can't get enough of it. So okay. there's a big difference in engineering. You know, if, if you're an individual contributor, somebody who's just working on the code and building features, you can kind of mess with that as much as you want until you get it right. Mm-hmm. There's really no penalty other than your time. Um, if you make mistakes, it's not a big deal. You can just fix them. With management, you can't really do that. You can't like experiment on one person and have one <laughs> style of managing and experiment on another person and have another style of managing. So for me, it was really important to try and be as well-read as possible, have as many tools as possible as I could going mm-hmm. into these conversations um, so I could build that trust and let people know I really cared about mm-hmm. them and how they were doing and I wasn't <laughs> experimenting on them or something. <laughs> um, let's back up a bit. When you were an engineer at Reddit and then you got the news that you were going to be an engineering manager, mm-hmm. um, what was that like? Kind of walk me through your your thought process or what was going through your mind when you found out that you're going to be a manager. Yeah. Well, like I was saying earlier, tech is like a very relaxed environment. And at this stage, when I first started managing, I don't think we really had many leaders in management. There weren't very other many other engineering managers. And I think at that point it was kind of just a, yeah, all right, you do it. You know, it wasn't like somebody had surveyed the landscape and we had hired and compared me against external candidates or something. It was just, Mm -hmm. this is a role we need to fill. You seem pretty interested in it. Why don't you do it? Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't have a ton of support at first. Um, It's definitely kind of figuring it out on your own. I'm sure you had to manage some peers, Mm -hmm. former peers, right? What was that like? Is that's kind of weird. Like you used to be on the same level, buddy buddy. Maybe go out for drinks, and now you're managing them. It's very weird. Yeah. Um, and one of the people I was managing was my manager when I first started. A lot of credit to him. He went with it. You know, I think a lot of people in his position could have said, "No, I don't. I don't agree with this. This isn't right." But he yeah. gave me a fair shot. Um, it was really weird. Um, that's weird. So, so someone who used to manage you. Now you manage them. You kind of yes. flip the script. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. Um, you know, and I think it made me not as effective as I could have been in the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. because I felt like I really want to advocate for this team. I really want to help them. But I don't want to be, you know, coming down on them if they're not doing the right thing. I don't want to mm-hmm. disagree with them. I, I, I really just want to build up that trust, which worked. And I'm lucky that the team was very, very good. So they didn't 
there wasn't really much that I needed to like guide them on or give them, you know, constructive mm-hmm. feedback on. But it was definitely weird and it was yeah. kind of isolating and lonely, you know. Why? Before we were, you know, a team of people that could all commiserate, you know, we could all say, oh boy, isn't it really bad what the company's doing here? Or why do we have to work on this project or something like that? You know, just mm-hmm. some normal run of the mill venting stuff. But now I'm the manager. Like, you can't mm-hmm. do that with me now. Or I can't mm-hmm. do that with them. I can't say, boy, isn't it rough that we have to work on this project? And it's like, well, you're the one helping figure out that we have to do yeah. that. So yeah. it, it can be isolating. And I'm lucky that I had some other people who went into management at that time to talk to. But it can definitely be isolating. Yeah. yeah. So there's going to be a lot of people listening to this where they are managing a peer or they're going to be promoted soon and they need to manage a peer. Like, What, what is some advice you would give this person who is going to manage a former peer? So I would get it all out there immediately. You know, don't just assume the role and start doing your normal one-on-ones and your normal planning meetings or whatever mm-hmm. without ever having sat down and said, hey, I know this can be kind of awkward, so let's talk about it. You know, let's tell me what you're feeling about this and I'll talk to you about how I'm, some of my insecurities about the role and mm-hmm. how I could really use your help to be successful here and really try and let the person know that it's not a leader-follower relationship, that it's really something you want to both work on together, mm-hmm. that you need their help as much as they need yours. and It's like um, a partnership. Yeah, it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. And don't let it just kind of sit because if there are some subtle issues there where they're kind of resentful because maybe mm-hmm. they were going for it or you mm-hmm. know maybe they have this these questions about your leadership style, um, mm-hmm. it's good to get it all out there. Yeah. There's actually a really good process that you told me about that then oh. I told another guest of yours about <laughs> called a manager assimilation, which I'm going to talk about again. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, it's, it's so you, important. You're going to talk about it again. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can link it in the show notes again. Um, <laughs> but I, I did that twice with my uh, with some new managers I was putting in place at Reddit, and it was both times mm-hmm. super valuable, which is basically an opportunity to do what I was just saying, to have the people who are getting this new manager get it all out there and say, here are our concerns about the team, here are our concerns about the new manager, and the manager, you know, incoming manager has an opportunity to speak to those concerns and um, set up plans and follow-up meetings to make sure the team feels really bought in. So mm-hmm. just getting it all out there. Don't mm-hmm. don't start off with some subtle grudges that are being held or something like yeah. that. What do you think would happen if you didn't get it all out there, if you didn't do the new manager simulation and you just went straight to management mode? There'll be some unhandled issues, and if you don't put it out there in the beginning that your management style is, hey, we can talk about this stuff. It's it's really important to me that we work those things out. They will just silently sit there. These things don't go away. Mm-hmm. If someone maybe felt that they were passed over for the role or they don't believe you have the right management style, mm-hmm. if you don't invite them to give you that feedback up front, they're never going to give it, but they'll still always think that. So yeah. you'll be going about your day, you think things are going well, but in reality, people have still have these questions about you that they mm-hmm. don't feel like they can get answered. And maybe yeah. they'll talk to their peers on the team about it, or it will affect their interactions with you, or they'll feel mm-hmm. less engaged in the work because they feel like they can't go to you with it. Mm-hmm. So just setting the tone from the beginning that I'm somebody you can talk to about this stuff, and I'm really, I really want this to be a partnership and for us to both improve each other, that's a big deal. Yeah. It seems like... They may be in agreement with you or make it look like everything's fine, but in their head, they probably like hate your guts or something or are resentful or something. It's not even necessarily like it, it for sure won't start out as hate your guts. Yeah. Um, but over time, they'll, they'll, you know, throughout any relationship, personal, professional, especially managerial, mm-hmm. um, there'll be things that happen over time where you maybe you said the wrong thing or you assumed the wrong thing or you, your reports will take something the wrong way. Um, Because they're weighing your words very heavily. You have a great Mm -hmm. impact on their career. Mm -hmm. And if you don't provide them the opportunities to clear the air or to really hear from you in those ways, it'll just compound over time and it'll get worse and worse until one day they say, hey, I'm I'm quitting, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. won't have seen it coming. Yeah. So a big part of your job as a manager is to really understand how people are feeling about you, how people are feeling about the team, how people are feeling about the company, and to mm-hmm. ask those types of questions and create those safe spaces for people to speak their minds. Okay. And a huge thing is also to follow through on it. If somebody says, 
I have this issue with the company where we have this policy that doesn't work for me. Don't say, yeah, I hear you. That sucks. And then don't do anything. Mm-hmm. You have to say, yeah, I hear you. That sucks. Let me go find out why this is and I'll get back to you and do mm-hmm. that. Or yeah. let me go find out if we can change that and I will get back to you and do that. And that's what builds that trust over time. Yeah. Employees really see that or they pay attention to that, right? Where if they go up to you for a problem or they have an issue or conflict and they need your help and you don't really do anything about it, they oh. it seems like they, they feel like, okay, if you don't care, why should I care about exactly. my it job is too? Such a morale killer. You know, mm-hmm. and it's and it's easy as a manager that the things that you might want to focus on are your team's output and your hiring people and the projects that your team gets to work on. That's the mm-hmm. stuff that really affects you. But you have to imagine it from the eyes of your reports. You know, let's say you mm-hmm. have ten reports. Um, you may be focused on are they all getting all their work done every week and you know all these sorts of things. But for them, a lot of them they're going out on a limb to come to you and tell you about this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be the biggest thing in their mind right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this policy is really hurting me, or I haven't gotten this vacation approved, or, or I haven't gotten reimbursed for this thing. Whatever it is, it may seem kind of small to you, but the fact that they're coming to you means they really are looking for help. They're opening mm-hmm. up. They want this help from you. Mm-hmm. And as a manager, sometimes that stuff can be the easiest thing to slip your mind because you have so many other things that you're going to be judged on. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go into your career development conversations with your manager, they're not going to be asking you, hey, what did person X ask about this policy? That's never going to come up. Yeah. But that is a huge opportunity for you to build trust and make sure that people will proactively come to you with things rather than you having to find out that somebody's upset you know, mm-hmm. through some third party or, or way after the fact where you could have done anything. Mm-hmm. So taking that feedback and following through is one of the most important things for managers to be doing. Okay. So I'm getting a hint of your management style. Okay, I... Let's be honest. I know your management style. I basically mm. have coached you this whole time that you've mm. been a manager. How would you describe yourself as a manager? What is your management style? Yeah, I think I am empathetic. So I care mm-hmm. a lot about the people, whether they're the people on my team or peers or you know end users or whoever. So uh, empathetic, um, collaborative. You know, I want to work with others. I want to work with my team. I'm not looking to make it a dictatorship or something like that. I mm-hmm. want to try and empower people to to improve things. It shouldn't just be me doing things. Mm-hmm. And then I care a lot about business impact. So are we doing the right work to help the business? I don't want to just be working on something that seems really cool or interesting or fun mm-hmm. for the team to do. Um, I want to make sure we're working on things that provide a lot of value for the business. That's yeah. how you stay in the good graces of the company. That's how you, you know, help the rest of the company succeed. And that's really what you're there to do. Mm-hmm. How, how do you know what's providing value or not? Like, how do you measure that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. I think one of the most common ones in technology is this like OKR process, mm-hmm. um, which is objectives and key results. I think it was very famously used at Google. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a lot of non-tech companies use it or? No, non-tech companies yeah. usually use SMART goals, and I have to introduce OKRs to them. Okay. Yeah. So the whole idea with OKRs is when they're done right, which you know they're not always are. Um, you start with some you know top-level metrics for the company. You know, for like a tech company like Reddit, it could be we want to add more daily active users, or we want to have more ad revenue, or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. those are pretty lofty goals that um, contribute to the company's success. And so your challenge as you know, a manager is to find projects and work that you can do that align with those goals, right? Mm-hmm. So if, let's say the company really wants to, you know, save money this year, that's a top line goal. Mm-hmm. And you want to come up with a project that's going to cost millions of dollars of investment. Um, that's not good. Don't, okay. don't do that one, right? <laughs> okay. Or if the company says, you know, we want to be able to build new things faster, we want to ship new features faster. What work can you do that will allow that to happen rather than, you know, introducing something that are that will slow the process down more like, you know, a longer process, more checks in the process and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. To get back to OKRs, I guess. So then it starts at the top then it goes to, you know, whoever, like generally executives, and then it will go to directors and it will go to managers. And so each step of the process, you have objectives. So for us, you know, if if our goal is to increase daily active users, mm-hmm. maybe we ours our idea is if we make the site faster, people will use it more. So that's mm-hmm. going to be one of our objectives. 
Okay. And then the key results are, you know, numbers we need to hit to make that objective happen. And so I assign those to my managers and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And so you have this trail of work that should show people, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. Okay. As long as the goals and the objectives are cascading down and you're achieving results that align with those objectives, that's how mm-hmm. you know that you're delivering business value? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that, that okay. should be like your North Star. And then mm-hmm. your job as a manager on the day-to-day is to make sure your team is selecting projects that meet those goals, mm-hmm. that you are you know, selling the goals to your team, that they understand why they're so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, keeping your team motivated and on track and helping them really understand when they complete this big project, how did that help the company, right? It's not mm-hmm. just, okay, we ticked a box. It's, no, that let us launch this feature. That's so cool, right? Like, you know, one of the things that Reddit that my team supported was we built this awesome live streaming things that people all over the world can stream what they're doing, whether it's mm-hmm. playing a piano somewhere, taking mm-hmm. requests, or riding a motorcycle with a dog on their back uh, <laughs> and streaming that. It mm-hmm. seems kind of dangerous, but you know, that's not my department, I guess. So we didn't make that, mm-hmm. but we built all the systems that let that work um, and mm-hmm. let that team do their work much quicker and save money and all these sorts of things. So a big part of my job was connecting how our work affected these other more visible things and how our work connected to the top-line company goals. Okay. Earlier you talked about your management style, how you're empathetic, you're collaborative, all that good stuff. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. I taught you all that. Wow. Where do you need to improve? Well, where would you like to get better? Where Where would would I like to get better? I think that's an excellent way of phrasing it. Um, I would like to get better at some time management, at some process, some more of the, I I guess it it feels like that's more of the, if I was a classically trained manager, if I would go into Mm -hmm. an MBA program or something like that, Mm -hmm. these are some of the things you might start to learn, um, you know, rolling out process and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I've done some of it in the past and I really enjoyed it where, okay, everybody in the company wants to be able to build some new feature. How do we, you know, divide our time equally? How Mm -hmm. do we do it fairly? How do we, you know, do it, make sure we're working on whatever the company needs most. I enjoy that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But with tech, process can sometimes be a a bad word. People don't Mm -hmm. like to hear that because tech is all about moving quickly. You know, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. So I'm interested in my next role. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more of that. You know, you have to be more deliberate and careful about what you're doing. So I'm re- that's what I'm really interested to learn in, in my next job is how do you balance moving quickly, you know, building a lot of cool new stuff with being safe and, and making sure uh-huh. you're working on the right thing and that sort of thing. Okay. I'm going to go back to the time management. You said you could improve on time management too. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like personal is bleeding into this. What time did you wake up today? Well, hey, that's different. I woke up at 7. Oh, you did? What time yeah. do you usually wake up? You know, um, 1 p.m.? No. Uh-huh. Come on now. Don't be ridiculous. When I first met you, you started waking up at 1 p.m., go to work, and leave work at like 6 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then, you know, I would work till like 3 or 4 a.m. I had a messed up schedule. I've had okay. A, the problem okay. was, if you go back to my resume, I worked at that Easy TGI company. I worked from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. overnight okay. for okay. You know, two years. I think that has, uh, if anybody out there is listening and considering an overnight job, don't. <laughs> okay. It'll mess you up. Yeah. Um, were were but, you fired from jobs because you were late all the time? Yes. Yes. How that many? may have happened. That may have happened twice. Twice? Yeah, twice. I feel like it was more. No, I was fired from other jobs, but not for lateness. <laughs> One time I was fired because I would. Twice I was fired because I was at companies where I suggested we do something differently, more efficiently. And I think people at the company were invested in it not being done efficiently. Like their jobs depended on, basically Mm -hmm. I was like suggesting to automate parts of their job. Yeah. And as a young kid, I was like, this makes sense. Let's just do it. And meanwhile, Uh there was somebody who had been working there 20 years whose whole job was not doing it the automated way. Who was like, you're an idiot. You're fired. Get out. Like, don't do this. Um, So that's how I got fired twice there. And there was one other. I don't remember. Yeah, I've been fired a lot. (laughs) It's not good to know going to this new job as a director. I have been fired in since I was 21. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, so. I got it out of my system. Good, good, yeah. good. And also, you know, I wake up late right now because this is my last couple of days of freedom, you know. Then I'm back on back on the clock, you know. Okay, that's true. So you talked about, like, you spoke up you um, at one of your previous jobs. You wanted to automate something, but that manager didn't want <laughs> to automate it, so they fired yeah. you. Um, and I know this about you. You speak your mind a lot. Like, that's something I, I admire a lot about you because growing you up, admire I... Admire or are annoyed by? <laughs> I love you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I admire when it, when it comes to work. Speak your mind, Jess. Speak your uh, mind. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. All right. Good to know. <laughs> okay. When it comes to work, you speak your mind a lot. Like, if mm-hmm. something doesn't seem right, if it seems unfair or... In- unjust or it seems like a long process or mm-hmm. inefficient you'll speak up and you'll not only will you speak up to peers but like leaders as well and I feel like you're not afraid of speaking up to leaders and voicing a dissenting viewpoint um how do you do that I'm not totally sure but to me I think for me the the math in my head is how uncomfortable does it make me if we keep doing it this way or like we keep doing this poor process or we're not being fair about how we're hiring or whatever? Mm-hmm. How much does that hurt me versus how uncomfortable is it to raise this issue? Um, mm-hmm. And what are the risks for me raising this? You know, if I raise this issue and they fire me, will I feel better having done that versus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having to live through this unfairness at work or whatever's going on? Mm-hmm. And for me, the math is almost always I should speak up and say something, uh, mm. whether it's, you know, a small thing like, you know, we're using the wrong vendor or something like that to, yeah. um, you know, something a bit larger. Uh, I, I pretty much always go that way for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> but you speak up like during a meeting, too. Like, have, mm-hmm. Haven't there been times where you're meeting with all leaders of the company and you like basically went against one of the top leaders? Well, went against is, I think, the wrong way to phrase it. I try and be very honest and direct with people. I'm mm-hmm. not really in the business of wasting anybody's time. I'm not there for small talk and to make people feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, leaders, right? People mm-hmm. who should be held accountable, that they are the ones driving the company. They should, you know, have a vision. They should follow through on execution. They should be responsible for what they do. I'm not in the business of trying to make those people feel good. Mm-hmm. They are there for a reason. And I'm going to hold them accountable and, and make sure they are doing their job. So, yeah, for instance, I'm not very career driven. You know, I mm-hmm. know a lot of people who think I have to get this manager position. I have to get to this director role. And then I want to go be an executive at a startup someday or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not really how I think. Mm-hmm. My career path is I want to go and do something that I am very invested in. I feel is very valuable. And when I'm there, I want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we are always doing our best, that we're not making excuses for ourselves, that we're not just there to try and make each other feel good because that's not what a business is for. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what goes through my mind when I'm thinking about having these conversations is we need to be holding each other accountable and being direct and honest. And that doesn't mean mean. There's a big uh, difference between being kind and being nice. Mm -hmm. It can be very kind to tell people you're messing up. And here's yeah. how I think you could do better. And I want to help you do better here. Yeah. Um, and let me know how I can help you. That's kind. Being nice is, no, you're doing great. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Don't worry that you just lost us millions of dollars or like <laughs> that a bunch of people are quitting because of your poor leadership or something like that. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. It's okay. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's actually, in my mind, that's m- much more mean than trying to kindly tell the person you need to improve and here's what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam talked about being nice versus kind. Her mom taught oh, yeah. her that. Were you influenced by her episode? Yeah, I I greatly admire Sam. Ooh. Sam has been somebody who has uh, spoken up in that way from very early on. Like mm-hmm. for me, you know, I also had like more years of experience and Reddit was a smaller company when I started and I started doing that. She did that from the very beginning and has mm-hmm. like never really wavered on her values and what she believes is right, which is admirable. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm very glad to yeah. have got an opportunity to work with her. Sam from episode three. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, let's take a break. Okay. Because Ava's supposed to be coming home anytime soon from her wah, picnic with wah, Grandma. <laughs> 
That's not how our baby cries, oh. dude. Uh, I should have used that when you asked me a hard question, (laughs) just to get out of it. Hi there. So I just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about Feed Learning. Feed Learning is an HR and talent consulting firm that helps build sustainable teams through virtual training courses, one-on-one coaching for managers, and HR process improvement strategies. We also have a bunch of free online resources to help you throughout your career. So check us out on feedlearning.com or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. All right, now back to the show with Kevin. All right, back from break. What did you do during break time? Oh, you know, just thought about my life and regretted all the answers I gave and, you know, the normal stuff. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sucks to be you. Um, All right, so I want to talk about a little bit more about management. And then we'll pivot to talking about diversity and inclusion, uh, do a lightning round, and then career advice. Have you ever had to manage up to a manager? I know you have. So, yes, you have. <laughs> so, tell me, how how do you manage up to a manager? What do you do there? Yeah. Well, there's all sorts of situations and different types of people to manage up and different reasons you'd have to manage up. But there's some principles that I think apply across all of them, you know, so you have to figure out what motivates your boss, right? Is it that they're really looking for status in the company that they really want to, uh, you know, provide some cohesive strategy to the company, you know, what is it that motivates them? And understanding that, um, and then kind of shifting how you present your work or how you ask for things based on Mm -hmm. that, you know, how do you know what motivates them? How do you find that out? Yeah, you have try and have real conversations with them, you know, and ask Mm -hmm. those types of questions. I think a lot of people make the mistake that, oh, I'm reporting to this person. I have to do whatever they ask. That's a very one way relationship. In reality, you should be pushing them as much as they're pushing you. Like they are there for you as much as you are for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're the ones with, you know, the view into higher level conversations. They're the ones in control of your career and how you go. You should be as demanding of them as they are of you, mm-hmm. if not more. And so you should have real conversations with them as much as possible to find out what is it that motivates them. Are they mission-driven or you mm-hmm. know, whatever? And um, use that to your advantage. You know, okay. You're going to be asking them to approve things for you or to use their influence for you or these sorts of things. How do you make it so when you come to ask for these things, it's most appealing to them? So once you find their motivation, what do you do next? So if it's somebody who cares a lot about, you know, saving money this year, can you frame your projects as cost savings exercises, even though there may be a lot of else to it that's important Mm -hmm. to your team? Uh, You know, they really want to experiment with some new technology or some new vendor, um, but you know that your boss is most motivated by cost savings you can frame it as, if we do this, we'll save ourselves a million dollars this year, mm-hmm. even though a lot of what your team wants, it might be something different. And so if you hadn't done the work of trying to determine what motivates your boss to make these decisions and just presented it on its face as, oh, we're going to experiment with this new technology or this new vendor, mm-hmm. um, they might not have been as interested. But you say, this is a big cost savings thing, and then you both get what you want out of it. Okay. What if... What if it's more of a personality issue that you need to manage up? Let's say that your manager just talked way too much or was always late to meetings or canceled meetings all the time. What would you do in those situations? Yeah, that's a tough one. In some cases, you will just find yourself to be incompatible with people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough when you run into that. I think it's at that point, you kind of have to make a value judgment, right? Can I find a way to work with this person? Can I just stick to the business? Can I, you know, basically run the meetings myself and um, deal with all of this? You know, I think you should definitely give the person feedback and say, hey, when you show up late for meetings, or wait, I should use the framework that you taught me, right? <laughs> when you show up late for meetings, I feel like you don't value my time. You know, so it'd be better if we adjust this to a time where you feel like you can consistently show up on time mm-hmm. or, you know, I need you to make a commitment that you can show up on time. Of course, try that. But uh, in a lot of cases, people are kind of set in their ways and they may not want to change or they may not be able to change for whatever reason. 
Mm-hmm. And at that point, you, yeah, you have to make a value judgment. Is the work I'm doing here, am I getting enough out of it to deal with this boss who you know, doesn't seem to care about my time or whatever other issue you have with them? Am I getting enough out of this job in other ways that I could deal with this? And at some point you may say, no, it's not worth it. And you okay. may look for another job. Yeah. So, so sometimes it's like you can't resolve all the conflict and you have to just weigh out what are the benefits if I were to bring up the topic to that other person or is it better that I just leave? Like, is it even fixable or not? Yeah. Um, I think you should always try to bring it up, but it yeah. depends a lot on your relationship. You know, again, the tech industry is different than a lot of other industries in that there's generally more of a culture of direct feedback, even mm-hmm. between, you know, your manager and yourself. Um, in other industries, that may not be the case where it just mm-hmm. may be more of a hierarchical thing where, no, you just have to deal with whatever this person puts out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but there's always different cases. It may just be where it's just a nine to five for you and you're just clocking in and clocking out and going home and spending time with your family and that's what you care about. And it's a very stable job otherwise and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's all different reasons why you may or may not want to put up with that. Okay. All right, Mr. Manager. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you and your management <laughs> abilities. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, let's pivot. Let's talk about diversity, diversity and inclusion. Um, how would you describe yourself in terms of race, ethnicity, gender, generation, age, etc.? Yeah, I am a white man. I think very average, average white man. Um, well, you're you're pretty lighter skinned. Oh, is <laughs> average. It, is that okay? I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I do look like a lobster if I stay out in the sun too long. So that's true. I just turned thirty five. I'm six feet tall. Um, I have a beard right now because my good trimmer was packed up in our moving stuff across the country. I think. Um, yeah. I think that describes me. Okay. Millennial, uh, right? I think we yeah, determined yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a millennial. Thank you. How? I don't know if it's a <laughs> compliment if you're a millennial. I just don't want to be too old, you know. Okay. <laughs> you will get older, you know that. That's what? That's how life works. Damn it. All right, Kevin, how has your identity positively or negatively impacted your career? I think in tech, it has definitely positively impacted my career. Um, There's um, kind of an archetype that has been described by uh, people that are influential in the tech community, generally like venture capitalists, the people who invest all the money of, you know, this younger white dude dropped out of college wears hoodies like it sounds ridiculous that that's how deep the archetype goes but it does go that deep this is like literally Mm -hmm. what they describe and that describes you describes me yeah um Mm -hmm. i dropped out of college i was interested in computers at a young age i am a young white man or well i was when i was first getting started so i think it definitely helped me how has it helped you i think that in a lot of a lot of times where maybe I wasn't the most qualified candidate for the role or if I didn't perform the best on the interview or mm-hmm. just in any number of situations throughout the day, I think I get the benefit of the doubt that I know what I'm doing because I fit this archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't second guess or, or whatever. Do you see that? Has anyone ever said that to you or you just feel that? I just feel that. You know, mm-hmm. I talk with a lot of people who aren't uh, the same race as me or the same gender or from the same place and I hear about some of the questions they get and some of the treatment they get and mm-hmm. I know that I don't get that, you know. Um, Negative treatment? Yeah, like the just questioning of their credentials or questioning of their abilities, second-guessing decisions and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had to wonder whether oh, when I was denied for this job, is it because I, you know, because I'm a different race or a different gender or a different mm-hmm. sexual orientation. Is that why I didn't get it? Is that why I didn't get this position? You know, a lot of leadership in engineering is overwhelmingly male um, mm-hmm. and quite often white um, or Asian. Mm-hmm. So I never look at those groups and I don't feel like I'm in, I'm on the outside. You know, I don't feel mm-hmm. like, well, I'm the only white, you know, male in this room. It doesn't happen. 
So to have that additional burden, I've never had to deal with. So it Mm -hmm. definitely helps. And, you know, when I see job listings where I'm not completely qualified for this, you know, I don't have this experience that they're stating or it says they need that you need a college degree, but I don't have one. Mm -hmm. I go for it and it seems Mm -hmm. to work out. But I know that that isn't the case for everybody, that other people may be go over their resume with a fine tooth comb and make sure they match every single thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the mitigating unconscious bias training that I teach. And, of course. Um, <laughs> I love it. I recommend it to everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for helping me create it too. Oh, no problem. Um, and I teach about like privileges and how people who are in the in group and the dominant group like white men um, can be blind to the privileges and their privileges are invisible to them. Whereas people in the out group or non-dominant group or minorities, they're like, they're well aware that they don't have these privileges and they find that they are at a disadvantage. Um, You being in the dominant group, you're pretty self-aware of the privileges that you have. How did you get that way? Yeah, well, it definitely wasn't always that way. And I think Mm -hmm. that I think that there is a lot of people, you know, I'm only speaking for tech because that's my, you know, that's where I come from. But there's a lot of people in tech who are deluded. There's this big myth that tech is a meritocracy Mm -hmm. that just if you're the best, you will make it to the top, Um, which is laughable. If you look at the diversity reports of a lot of these major companies, like there's no way it just doesn't make sense that it would ever work out this way. Mm -hmm. And so if you surround yourself with other well-to-do white men and Asian men, um, Asian people are pretty well represented in tech. It's very easy to look around and say, look at all the great work we've done. Wow, we're so good. And, you know, we fought through so much adversity to get here. You know, we're so deserving. But then if you don't ever hear from that other viewpoint about how other people have it, you can very easily just get yourself caught in this echo chamber where you think that, you know, you fought through everything and you're the most deserving. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I think you helped me a lot. Um, me? Yeah. You yeah. helped me. Hey, it worked out for both oh, of us. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I think you helped me a lot. I think just trying to take in as many different viewpoints as possible, um, mm-hmm. trying to build those empathetic relationships at work with people from all different backgrounds and hearing their stories and what they've had to go through to get to where they are um, has really been a big deal. And also... We've hired from a lot of non-traditional backgrounds at, at Reddit. We hired mm-hmm. from, there's these things called boot camps where people from backgrounds that don't traditionally get into tech, you know, we, mm-hmm. we've hired people who were fitness instructors, project managers, really? genetic engineers. Yeah. And they're some of mm-hmm. the best engineers you've ever worked with. You know, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies won't hire from here because they want degrees from Stanford or you have to be connected to somebody or something like that. And so just hiring from these places and hearing these people's stories and that they put so much effort into this to get to where they are, it really just shakes the core of this whole meritocracy thing. It clearly doesn't make sense when you talk to some of these people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard somewhere that companies who think that they have a meritocracy definitely do not have a meritocracy because when you... When you believe that you have a meritocracy, you think that you're already good and the systems that you have in place have merit that you don't question or challenge yourself or you don't continuously try to improve. And uh, it kind of just goes back to its old ways and habits. Yep, that makes total sense and describes a lot, a lot of the higher echelons of the tech industry. Mm -hmm. So how have you used your privileges to help those around you who do not have the same privileges. So you talked a little bit earlier about um, hiring diverse candidates or so. Can you tell me more about what you've done? Yeah. Um, Yeah, so there's a a lot of different stuff that uh, I've been involved in. And also, you know, for my teams, we hire people who want to be involved in this sort of stuff. So we do a lot of mentoring inside the company. So we have... uh, mentorship programs that Sam has started, uh, Mm -hmm. your previous guest, Mm -hmm. where we try and, um, you know, help cross-train people and that sort of thing. There's a great uh, organization out in Oakland that you helped me out with, uh, uh, Hidden Genius. Genius Mm -hmm. And they run this job fair that we've been a part of a few times that's for black male teenagers who come out and see that, you know, there's a ton of opportunity for them in, in the tech 
uh, space, which is great. And then in terms of like hiring, uh, we also partner with a couple uh, of these boot camps. Uh, one of the big ones is this one called Hackbright, which is exclusively for women who want to uh, transition their careers and enter technology. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, mentoring there after uh, the Reddit CEO, Steve Huffman, actually, he started mentoring there and they came in and um, we did like interview exercises. We uh, mentored them and that sort of thing and helped them find jobs, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then we started taking it to the next step where we started hiring a lot of people from Hackbright and they've all been awesome. And to see that these are people who had previous careers, you know, as I was saying, in all different industries, for them to bring that little uh, difference in their background, you know, makes such a difference in the team composition, right? We're not all mm-hmm. thinking the same way. We all have different influences and that sort of thing. That's been really good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over the past few years, as I uh, kind of moved up in the organization, I had an opportunity for kind of sponsorship. And I really learned the difference about this from a former uh, manager of mine, Nick Caldwell, who uh, gave me my shot as a director, actually, Mm -hmm. at Reddit. And he explains it that, you know, mentoring is that it's somebody who you check in with, who can give you some advice and maybe, you know, help you out a little bit. But sponsoring is different. That's where, you know, you're kind of using your privilege and your position at the company to uh, say, you know, involve people in certain conversations or to give them opportunities to work on some big project or even transfer them into new roles. And sponsorship is a bigger deal because you're kind of putting yourself on the line Mm -hmm. to say, I think this person will be really good and we need to give them this opportunity. And so just being able to do more of that uh, as my career went on was also really important. Yeah. And I don't think I ever met Nick yet. You always talk so highly of him. Yeah, he's a big influence. Yeah, and I still talk to him. Yeah. When do I get to meet him? Well, he's in San Francisco now. (laughs) So... When we go out there next or something, I don't know. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, so let's do lightning round. Okay. Is this where the music starts? Yeah, this is where the music starts. Okay. Cue music. Well, how how right. about you say it? You say it. <clears throat> Cue music. What was your very first job? Uh, Marshalls. I was a cashier. How old were you? I was 17. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think I wanted to be a genetic engineer. Uh, And I think I got the idea from Jurassic Park when they were like, you know, messing with the dino DNA and that sort of stuff. Mm. Mm. So really coming to Sloan Kettering is like just a a very long winding path to try and get close to it. What college did you go to and what was your major? I went to the New Jersey Institute of Technology, which sounds much fancier than it is. And I went for computer science. And I basically failed out after a year. Why did you drop out? Much similar story to your brother. I had a scholarship and my grades were not good enough to keep up the scholarship because I just didn't really try. I didn't really enjoy what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so um, I left because it was going to cost a lot of money. Mm. Okay, so similar to end out on episode five. Mm -hmm. Were you ever considered as the smart kid in class? No. I consider you as the smartest man I know. Wow. Well, you have to say that, but thank you. What do or did your parents do for work? My dad uh, is an equipment tech at a dialysis center, so he fixes all the dialysis machines for patients who need that. And my mom was in, what would you say, labor relations, HR, and then benefits consulting for a while, uh, recently retired. And now full-time grandma? Full-time grandma, I hope, yeah. Hope she doesn't get sick of it too soon. What did your parents want you to be? Well, I think my dad would have liked me to be a a footy star. You know, my dad's from England, so he wanted me to be a soccer player, I'm sure. Mm. Um, But I think I disappointed him pretty early in that. Didn't really like soccer. I liked other sports, but not soccer. And then my mom, I'm not sure what she wanted me to be, but she did want me to go to Cornell, which is where she went. And I didn't do that. So I disappointed them both completely. If money wasn't an issue and you could be anything you wanted to be, what would you be? Probably a farmer. What would you have on the farm? Uh, Jalapenos, tomatoes, goats. How many kids do you want? Oh, God. What? This, I feel... (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't know. Two or three? Is that the right answer? 
I'll talk to you after this. Oh, oh, um, no. What do you see yourself doing in 10 years? I hope we will have settled and bought a home and have a nice home for ourselves and have a really loving, wonderful family. That's what I care about in 10 years. With four other kids? Okay, now you're getting a little crazy. Oh, now okay. you're getting a little crazy. Have you ever met the Wu-Tang Clan? Yes. Have you really? Yeah. Yeah, you didn't know this? No, you, I thought you were just like always saying the zip code because you're from Staten Island. Well, and... I, yeah, I'm from the same zip code, 10304. Um, but uh, no, I met uh, Method Man when he came into Best Buy and I helped him buy a gaming computer. He like picked out a game off the shelf and he came over and he's like, I want to play this. Can you help me get a computer that'll play this? And you know, which is not normally how people buy computers, but he was, he was super nice. How many pairs of shoes do you own? I don't know, what do you think? Seven or eight, maybe? Maybe less. My brother, Jack, if you're listening, he stole my shoes from our house the other day. He put them on by accident in the dark. Bring them back to me. Do you wear the same clothes every day or do you style it up? Come on now. Now you're just setting me up, aren't you? Um, I wear uh, like a, just the same rotation of clothes, yeah. How many glasses of water do you drink in a day? Come on now, now you're just setting me up. These are drink... all the same questions I ask other guests. I am mm. not setting you up. I'll have to go back and listen. Uh, I don't drink a lot of water, maybe one or two. I drink LaCroix, you know, which Jess says doesn't count as water, but it does. Why do you not like to eat onions? I know you don't ask this to the people. You're messing, you're messing me up. I don't know, I don't know why I don't like the onions. I mean, I eat things that have been onioned you know, like tomato sauce and this sort of thing. Um, I don't know, I just don't like the texture. I don't like onions, I don't like mushrooms. I don't know. All right. Okay, ready for career advice? Sure, are you gonna give me some? No, I'm not. Oh, oh. you can give me some, you're good. I, I, I really think you're good. Uh-huh, okay. You could, be, you could be taking my job. That's okay. Mm, okay, all right, career advice. What advice would you give to new managers just starting out? Yeah, well, we talked about it before, some of the manager assimilation stuff. Um, I think that has really been super valuable. Um, it basically compresses what is sometimes a month or two worth of trust building and that sort of stuff into a few hours, into a single day, which is pretty awesome. Um, but in general, for new managers, yeah, you really want to get into trust building, so setting the tone of your relationship that it hopefully will be one about uh, direct feedback and honesty. You know, you're all looking to improve each other, that it's not a dictatorship, that you're looking to, you know, be a facilitator uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and then some of the basics, you know, set up recurring one-on-ones. Um, I think a lot of new managers fail to do that, but just set up time on the calendar every week um, uh, for half an hour. You know, you can either have like a document-based agenda or just keep it in your head, whatever works for you all. But keeping that time is really important. I've seen a lot of managers fail in that they'll say, well, you know, if a report has something that they want to tell me, they'll just, you know, I'll, I told them just book time with me. But it doesn't really work like that. So having that time always available is really good. And then starting off with some easy wins is a great way to build trust as well. If there's something that's bothering them, uh, we don't, um, you know, we don't like the way that we do planning or, you know, we... There's this conference we want to attend that we're not able to get uh, approval for. Doing small things like that for them shows them that you are, you're there to help them and facilitate and that sort of thing. So getting that sort of stuff done off the bat is, is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a lot of great books. Uh, one is uh, one I really refer to a lot was uh, The Manager's Path by Camille Fournier, who was the CTO at Rent the Runway, and now she's at a company called Two Sigma. Um, but it, especially in, for tech people, it walks you through the stages of your career, you know, a lead engineer and then um, tech lead, manager, director, et cetera, et cetera, and gives you tools and walks you through example situations through each time. I, fo- I found that really helpful. And then as you get on a little further, there's things like High Output Management by Andy Grove, who was, um, you know, from Intel, uh, which is kind of like the Bible of management for a lot of people. It talks about you know, how to build process, how to ensure your team's output, how to, you know, handle meetings and all sorts of stuff, which mm-hmm. it's, it's a really, really good reference. What advice 
would you have for someone who wants to advance in their career? Because you advanced in your career very quickly. I did. I did. Um, I would say, yeah, you have to figure out what is the promotion criteria? What do the people who are responsible for promoting you care about? I made the mistake earlier in my career. You know, I've, I've done relatively well over the last five years or so, but for the first, you know, 10 years of my career, I did, really didn't advance that much. Um, my feeling was that if I just do good work, people will notice and I'll get promoted. You know, that's how it works. But that's not actually the reality. The reality is that there are people who are deciding whether or not to promote you. Um, and you have to understand what motivates those people and what will be really appealing to them to have them go and, you know, try and advocate for you. So understanding that the company really cares about this dazzling new technology they want to implement, or is it that they, like I've said before, save money, maybe that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they really care about growing their talent. So if you're building a mentorship program, or if you are a mentor to a great many people, maybe that's something you should highlight. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think a lot of people also, this again is a mistake I made earlier in my career, is you don't really want to have conversations about career development. You feel a little afraid of it, like you don't want to be too pushy or something like that. But in reality, that's a conversation you should be having with your manager every few weeks, you know, probably, um, is to say, you know, how am I tracking against getting to the next level? You should share that a goal of yours is to advance to this next level. And how can they help you do that? A lot of manager and a lot of people kind of rely on their manager to do this advocating for them and to have this plan for them. But the, the grim reality is that not all managers are that great. You know, mm-hmm. you have the person who cares the most about your career development is you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how good of a manager you have. So you need to make it front and center for the person who's responsible for this, your manager, mm-hmm. um, and ask them directly, what do I need to do to advance? What yeah. do I need to work on? What would make me a really compelling candidate for this next level? And how do we work together to get there? Those are the types of conversations you should be having. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you have to own your own development, be proactive, take the initiative in telling your, informing your manager what you want and asking them how they can help you get where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. That was the mistake I made in the first half of my career, which was, it'll just work out. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that they care, but even if people do care, they have a million other things going on or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're the person who cares the most, so it's on you to Mm -hmm. make it a priority for everybody else. You know what I noticed that your second half of your career, that's when you met me. And that's when you started getting promoted. More. Okay, anyway. Next question. <laughs> Last question. Um, I know you mentioned a, a couple of books by Camille and Andy Grove. Any other books, articles, resources that you recommend people to check out? No. Okay. All right. So that's the show, everyone. <laughs> No, uh, I'm just kidding. We talked about some of them already. I think the manager assimilation, I'll say it again because that's how that's important like it is. That's like the third or fourth time. I, know. I don't know uh, if people want to uh, get tired of it or not. I love it. Um, the couple books I mentioned, there's also a guy I respect a lot in engineering management. His name is Will Larson. Um, he has a blog at lethain.com, L-E-T-H-A-I-N.com, and he has a book called um, An Elegant Puzzle, which is excellent. Very well designed as well. A lot of pretty pictures um, in that one, which is really good. Um, and then, yeah, the thing about uh, management, or at least engineering management, is that it's a field that's advancing very quickly. So a lot of the best benefits I've gotten have been from reaching out to other managers, seeing how they're doing things within your own company or outside your company. For me, I took to Twitter and found people that um, had similar interests who were in engineering management and follow them and see what they're um, talking about, uh, and just reached out and tried mm-hmm. to connect with some of them, which I found to be very valuable. Uh, mm-hmm. So try and do that. Try and build a network a little bit. Yeah. A, a wise person once told me, your network is your net worth. Do you know who, who that person was? Who? It was you, my dear yeah. wife. Yes. you welcome. I love that phrase. You seem to hate it, but I like it. Because you say that almost every single time we it's have great. a conversation. It's okay. great. All right, husband, that's the end of the show. This this is the last episode for the season, and mm-hmm. um, I'm tired. 
creating your own podcast, editing all the episodes, interviewing, it's, it's a lot of work. So can you do the closing for me? Sure. Um, what do I say here? The, the, your website and that sort of thing? Whatever you want. I don't have yeah. the same thing all the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you may not know this, but I'm also fee learning social media manager. Um, Are you really? Yes. Because it's kind of dead. Oh, I don't have like 33 followers. Oh, mm. I have more downloads, but not many followers. Maybe we should take this conversation offline. <laughs> um, but uh, Jess puts a lot of work into these episodes. A lot of work to the point of ignoring her husband when it's time to watch Survivor uh, and that sort of stuff. So I have listened to a lot of them and I found them very valuable. And I hope you all do as well and uh, appreciate it. Well, let's see the closing bit. Uh, you should go to feedlearning.com and check it out. There's a lot of good resources there for anybody from job seekers to new managers, um, all sorts of stuff there. Um, the podcast is great. You should go back and listen to a lot of the episodes. I especially like Sam Caro's episode uh, because she mentioned me once in it, I think, right? I think she did. Yeah, so that therefore makes it my favorite. Um, and but Angdao also, also mentioned you in his episode. Okay, that's my second favorite then. And then Twee and Sherry may have mentioned you in their episode. I don't think they mentioned me by name. I think I was the unnamed husband oh, or something like okay. that, you know. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Well, 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 we'll keep those up there too. They're all good. They're all gems. There's Jonathan in episode four definitely mentioned Okay. Me. Who's doing the ending here? Me or okay. you? Okay, okay. Sorry. Go. Please. Um, yeah, so feedlearning.com. There's a ton of resources there and more to come. Uh, check out social media. There's, what are you on? Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Friendster, MySpace. What's the other dead ones that I can't think of? Um, if you reach out to Jesse, she will put you in her top eight on MySpace. So look out for that. Um, but no, check out social media, follow what's going on. You can follow me on Twitter, Gooey Blob, G-O-O-E-Y-B-L-O-B. There's a lot of great stuff there, if you like great stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's it, right? Did I get it? You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes. Why am I telling them? You're already listening to it. So I guess you already know. Well, whatever. Figure it out for yourself. I think I've done great. What do you think? You can't see this, but she is laughing hysterically at me, which I'm sure means I've done a good job.